What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Tuesday, not Monday, Tuesday, June the 1st, 2021. This is episode 68 of the program. However you listen to the podcast, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Uh, you can, if you listen audio only, you have Apple Podcasts, you have Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. Basically, anywhere you download or listen to podcasts, you can find this show. Uh, if you are someone who watches along over on YouTube, all you need to do, search bar, Matt Bernier Show, you'll get this episode along with the 67 prior. It is Belmont Stakes Week, and that is predominantly what this show is going to be about this week. We're going to keep it relatively brief. I know I say that many, many times and it ends up going on just as long as it always does, but this week I mean it. I'm going to give you my value line for this year's Belmont Stakes. They drew the race uh, about an hour or so ago. I'm going to give you my value line and the horse that I am probably 99% going to pick to win uh, and hopefully bet based on the odds. And then I posed a question on Sunday of this past weekend, Saturday or Sunday, one of the two, because I, I just got to thinking about it a little bit as we get closer and closer to Belmont Stakes Day, one of my favorite days of the year, effectively a miniature Breeders' Cup, you know, in the beginning of June. I got to thinking with the other races that are on the card, outside of the Triple Crown and the Breeders' Cup in the United States only, and maybe I'll pick this up again next week and, and sort of expand it to the globe. What's the most prestigious race in the United States? That is not a Triple Crown race and is not a Breeders' Cup race. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts if you haven't already. Many people have replied on Twitter, but if you haven't or you're not someone who's on Twitter, uh, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube. I'm very, very curious to hear what people think. I will give you sort of my short list and perhaps pick one or the other about what I believe anyway. Which race is the most prestigious? Uh, We'll get into that in a bit though. Let's talk about the Belmont. Only a field of eight. And I know some people are disappointed by that. And I, I just recently put out a tweet. You know, I would personally, just my opinion, not every race needs to have 14 horses and, you know, this, that, and the other to be considered a good race and even to be considered a good betting race. I think everyone gets so caught up in the moment of what the Triple Crown is and, and what these big marquee events are. And, oh, they've got to have full fields. And if you're not there, you know, what are you doing? And from a betting standpoint, it sucks that there's only eight horses. Well, is that really the case? When I look at this field of eight, I say there are three horses that I would be very surprised if they were to win. Bourbonic or Bourbonic, however you're going to pronounce it. Uh, France go to Ina and Overtook. So that leaves you with five horses that, in my opinion are all extremely, extremely close as far as talent is concerned. And to me, that that actually creates an interesting betting proposition, depending on how heavy people go on certain horses. Maybe the morning line favorite in essential quality. Maybe Rock Your World, who looks to be the controlling speed in the race. Maybe someone else. Depending on how the public bets the race, I think it can create an opportunity with some of these other horses. And no, maybe it's not the, you know, the derby situation where, you know, uh, I liked Mandaloon. Somehow we went off at 26 or 27 to 1, whatever it was. No, you're probably not going to get that in a race like this. But that doesn't mean that it's not a good betting race. Again, betting and, and value is in the eye of the beholder. If you think essential quality should be even money in this race, 
Maybe he goes off at eight to five, and maybe that, in turn, is a great betting opportunity for you. Maybe you're someone like me who thinks that those five horses are, you, you throw them up and they could come down five different ways. Well, if that's the case, they're going to just purely on mathematics, they're going to be two or three of those horses that are probably going to be overlays, in my opinion, anyway. And I'll get into my value line in a moment. But they don't always have to be these giant fields. And I would rather see a field like this, where I view it as effectively five horses in an eight-horse race that can win, as opposed to just adding six others to get a field of 14, or I believe the Belmont can go out to 16. I don't, I don't need horses that enter just to enter, so we can have a big full field. Uh, and I understand some people are saying, well, what about Mandaloon? Uh, what about uh, Malathot? What about uh, Midnight Bourbon? This, that, and the other. Uh, Medina Spirit. Yeah, sure. They all would have been interesting. The, of those horses, the only one I really would have liked to have seen would have been Malathot. But I get it. There are other things going on here, other, other pieces at play. But I just, I, it doesn't bother me. And maybe I'm in the minority there. But I, I just, I would rather have a race like this where I think it's going to be super, super interesting. Such a fun race to watch and see tactically what these five units, these the people that are involved with these horses, how they go about plotting out their plan to try to win the Belmont Stakes. So if for whatever reason you've been living under a rock, I don't know how you wouldn't see this or know this before watching or listening to this. Uh, in post position order, Burbonic, Essential Quality, Ron Bauer, Hot Rod Charlie, France Go to Ina, Known Agenda, Rock Your World, Overtook. Those are your eight horses that are scheduled to go in the Belmont Stakes. Rebels Romance was withdrawn from consideration early on Tuesday because of a hind end infection. Uh, one of his legs didn't sound like it's anything too, too bad. Hopefully he comes back soon. Um, but, and I saw it, uh, some folks talk, uh, bringing it up on Twitter as well maybe the hind end had to do with the way that he was getting over the racetrack because I, I just I wasn't overly impressed. And he was a horse that I was mildly intrigued with heading into a race like this because this had been the goal all along. So from a value standpoint, again, for those of you unfamiliar with the value line, 100 points, you need to divvy it up among all the horses and it has to total 100. With uh, morning lines, you, you add in the takeout situation. We're not doing that. We're just talking about it from... The race is going to be run, and there's going to be an outcome, and it has to total 100%. So you go through, you assign numbers, you divide, subtract, and you get your whatever your line would be for these horses that would indicate fair value. Uh, I will say off the off the top the three horses that I have no interest in, and I will not use as far as picks are concerned. Uh, Burbonic, I made him 49 to 1 or effectively 50 to 1, 2% chance. Uh, and I'm not someone who goes into the, the halves and the quarter percentages. You can do that if you want to be very exact. I just go with the, the round number. Uh, so I gave him 2% chance, Burbonic at 49 to 1. France go to Ina, 2% chance at 49 to 1. And Overtook, a 2% chance, 49 to 1. Or if you want to round to 50 to 1, that's fine as well. So that leaves five horses. And I have... Three of them at four to one and two of them at five to one. Uh, essential quality, I've given him a 20% chance of winning this race. So if they ran the race 100 times, I think he wins 20 of them. 100 divided by 20 is five, minus one is four. Four to one would, to me, be fair value on this horse. He is extremely unlikely to go off at four to one. Therefore, from a win standpoint, I will not be betting him. 
That doesn't mean that I won't have him in pick five or pick six or any or doubles or any of that kind of stuff. But strictly, I'm only talking about it from a win standpoint. I don't believe the odds that he is going to go off at are indicative or represent fair value. I think he would be considered an underlay in Saturday's race, despite being arguably the most likely winner. The other two horses I have at a 20% chance of winning the race and four to one odds are Rock Your World and Known Agenda. Now, Rock Your World, the case is pretty straightforward, and I think he's going to come down from the morning line. I believe he is 9-2 to two on the morning line. He's going to come down for a few reasons. One, he is the controlling speed in this race, or at least it appears that way. I know they have rated him off horses in workouts in the mornings in the past. To me, given what we know about the Belmont Stakes and how horses typically win the race or the running style that's employed. And if you're curious, you can go back and listen to last week's show, episode 67. I dive into what a Belmont Stakes winner looks like. Or if you want to read it, head on over to NBCSportsEdge.com. I put that article up here this uh, this morning. I think he has to go. He has the pedigree that would suggest the distance is going to be his friend. And in the Kentucky Derby, had Mattress Mac not bet the amount of money he did on essential quality, Rock Your World probably would have been the favorite. Or they would have been this close in the wagering. And I think people just, for whatever reason, have either forgotten it or are willfully ignoring that fact. So to me, Rock Your World is very much a key player to this thing. You could even make an argument that based on his running style, he could be considered the most likely winner of the race. I'm not ready to go that far, but I think he is in with a big, big chance on Saturday. And I think you have to respect his chances for John Sadler. I made him 4-1, to one, 20% chance. The other 20% chance was known agenda. Now, known agenda to me is an interesting case in that, no, he's not as fast as some of the other horses coming into the race. But as we talked about in last week's show, you don't have to be the fastest horse going into the Belmont. You just need to be in good form. And when I say good form, you don't need to be winning races, but you need to be competitive for the most part or at least running races, are showing that you have the ability to potentially move forward. Uh, he's got Pletcher in his corner. I believe he's going to have a Rad Ortiz. I just think he's a very sneaky horse in a race like this, and perhaps he becomes the wise guy horse. But I think he wants to run all day. His workout the other day, I don't love Dr. Post. But from a speed figure standpoint, Dr. Post is a re- relatively fast racehorse. I believe his last race in the Westchester year in a 103 or a 102 buyer speed figure. Known agenda effectively worked head and head with him, galloped out well in front of him. It was a little bit of a quirky workout because there were a couple of horses that got mixed in there as well. But for me, I, I look at a work like that and say, if, if Dr. Post were in this year's Belmont, where would he fit? He would probably be the favorite or among the favorites anyway. And I think that's how you have to look at a horse like Known Agenda. Pletcher has always thought very highly of this horse. The Kentucky Derby, I really don't think was a terrible race considering breaking from the inside and having to overcome that situation. His downfall on Saturday may be his running style because I don't think he has that natural early speed that some of these other horses do. So it'll be up to a Rad Ortiz Jr. to get him in position with a half mile to go. He needs to be within a length or two, I think, to have an actual legitimate chance to win this thing. I don't think he can come from farther back. Um, perhaps it's worth noting that a rad road creator to victory in the Belmont Stakes, and he rallied from a little bit farther back. He was about three lengths off of it with a half mile to go. So maybe you look at something like that 
I just think known agenda. I like the vibes coming into it. I think he's run deceptively well, especially in the Derby. But his Florida Derby, despite beating up on a less than stellar field, I think you started to see the reasons that people liked him or were intrigued by him headed into to Louisville. I think he's got a big chance in this race on Saturday. The two five to one chances that I have at seventeen percent. So I've given them 17% chance. They run the race 100 times. I think they win 17 of them. Uh, Ron Bauer and Hot Rod Charlie. Now, Hot Rod Charlie, I think, has the ideal running style for this race. He can go to the lead, or he can sit just off a horse like Rock Your World, or if essential quality from the inside is aggressively ridden. I just think Hot Rod Charlie fits this race from a running style standpoint. To me, he would actually be like the prototype. I, I just, I like everything about his running style. I do wonder a little bit, about is he is he kind of like Oxbow, like his dad, in that he's very very talented, one of the better three year olds of his crop. But is he the best? I don't know why I get that nagging feeling that he may be just a he's an A minus compared to the A's. Doesn't mean he can't win this race again for the running style reasons for the form that he's bringing into it. He really hasn't run a bad race. On dirt, I do. I just I do wonder a little bit. That would be my only question with Hot Rod Charlie. I think he's very interesting, and he may be the horse that gets lost in the shuffle from a value standpoint. I made him five to one. You know, maybe he goes off in that five or six to one range, and then becomes a viable candidate or a viable win wager at that point. And as far as Ron Bauer is concerned, he has a similar running style to the one, in my opinion, anyway, that Known Agenda does. And if the two of them are going to have a chance to win this race on Saturday, I think their riders need to be very cognizant of where they are positioned with a half mile to run. I sound like a broken record, but that's just my sort of feeling, my, 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 my opinion on where you need to be in order to have a chance to win this race. I think you need to be involved. I think it's going to be a little bit more like a turf race. I think it would be a relatively bunched up field um, unless some, some riders get very aggressive out of there. Maybe Hot Rod Charlie is aggressive. Maybe France go to Eno. We saw him. He was very keen in Baltimore. Maybe they say, look, the only way we can win this thing, and I believe this, with these longer shots, the only way that you can win, I think, is to just be aggressive and maybe you, you shock the world. I don't think you can do it from, from 15 out of it or 10 out of it. France go to Eno. Maybe you just say, you know what? We've come all this way. He got We tightened him up in the Preakness. We're going to get a forward move. Let's be aggressive. And you know what? Maybe that changes the complexion of the race. Maybe we go a little bit faster than, than I'm thinking it's going to be at face value. But my heart of hearts, I think he, you know, we're going to have a relatively bunched up field. And it's going to be a rider's race. And it's part of the reason I love the Belmont Stakes. And this is a long-winded way of saying, again, I think those five horses, you could throw a blanket over them. I don't know that there's that much separating any of them, but when push comes to shove, if I need to make a pick and the horse that I'm looking to bet in here because of the history of his trainer, because of the connections just in general, trainer, ownership group, and especially the jockey, I'm going to go with known agenda to win the Belmont Stakes this year. I just think there's a lot going in his favor. It is going to be critical for Rad Ortiz to position this horse where he needs to be with a half mile to go. If it turns into a stamina contest, he is one of the horses I am most confident in. I don't think the distance will get him beat. If you want to say he's not fast enough or he's not talented enough, that's fine. I really can't argue with you. He's one of the slower contenders coming into the race, for being honest. But I just think there's more here than maybe meets the eye. 
maybe he becomes a little bit of the wise guy horse, but I, I really don't know how how wise guy this race really can be when you've got five horses who seemingly all fit. Um, four to one or better for me, unknown agenda. I think that's that's very viable. I'll have him in all picks, um, but for the most part, I'll probably play daily doubles on Saturday. Um, I'll be at uh, Mohegan Sun, at Uncasville, Connecticut. Anybody in the area, come on through. Me and Mike Mutnansky going to be having some fun down there all day on Saturday afternoon. So I'm going to go with known agenda to win this year's Belmont Stakes. Uh, four to one or better for me would be a viable and playable price on the win end. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, who are your picks to win this year's Belmont Stakes and why? Now, let's pivot to the talk of what's the most prestigious race in the United States that is not a Triple Crown event and is not a Breeders' Cup event. This will be the part where we can pick things up a little bit on the pace. Um, Many, many answers that I was fascinated by it's not a scientific way of going about it. I didn't put a poll out there, but in all of the responses, I, I think the one that came up the most as far as the most prestigious race that's not a Triple Crown or Breeders' Cup event in the U.S. seemed to be the Travers, which I suppose makes sense. In a weird way, you could almost call it the fourth leg of, you know, I know we talk about the Grand Slam with the Breeders' Cup, um, but as far as the three-year-old specific race is concerned. There's a reason it's the Midsummer Derby that you have the three-year-olds at a mile and a quarter at arguably the biggest track in the United States, uh, Saratoga. So I can understand that logic. So a fair amount of people bring up the Met Mile, which will also be run on Saturday. And frankly, the Met Mile was the reason that this question even came to my mind. But I can also understand the folks that look at it and say it's a one-turn mile. It's a bit of a, it's a very unique race. Because it doesn't fit everyone, but I do think, to that point, the prestige of being able to win a race that is both a test of speed and stamina, I think that's what makes the Met such a a really, one of my favorite races of the year. Saw some people bring up the Whitney. The Whitney, to me, is probably, and I I don't want to split the thing up into sort of different categories, but from a you know air quotes traditional standpoint, I I personally would think the Whitney would be the most prestigious mile and an eighth. It's at Saratoga. Um, it's I think positioned perfectly on the calendar. You get the opportunity to see maybe a, a one turn miler from the Metropolitan tries to stretch out to two turns in a mile and an eighth. I believe cross traffic did that a few years ago. Um, you also have the horses at a mile and a quarter that are suited for a mile and an eighth that come back to that. Giant Purse, Saratoga. I mean, it makes plenty of sense. So how many people bring up the Pacific Classic out at Del Mar at a mile and a quarter? You know, the difficult thing there is it feels like, for whatever reason, for better or worse, you don't get many horses from the East Coast shipping west. Now, maybe this year will be different because the Breeders' Cup is at Del Mar. Maybe you want to find out if you can get a run over the strip and find out how your horse is going to handle it if you're thinking about the Breeders' Cup Classic. So perhaps that's a race that takes away from the Whitney this year and bumps bumps that stature of the Peak Classic. In general, I just think it's a slight notch below the Whitney for whatever reason because I think we get I think you kind of have that line that divide where the Midwest types I think are more apt to go east to Saratoga than they are to go west to Del Mar for whatever reason. I have no idea. Maybe somebody else out there has, has a better idea than I do. Um, 
I, it was also interesting that there weren't many turf races brought up. Some people suggested because it had to do with, you know, the fact that turf racing really isn't championed here in the United States like it is internationally. Uh, some people brought up the just flat out fact that there really aren't that many great turf races. Many people alluded to the fact that the Arlington Million at one time would have had a, a legitimate argument or a legitimate case to be made for being the most prestigious non-Breeders' Cup or non-Triple Crown race in the U.S. It's a shame to see what has gone on and, and how everything has transpired at Arlington because it was. The, the Million was one of my favorite races. I've talked about it ad nauseum. I personally love long-distance racing in general, but specifically turf racing. Maybe that's why the Belmont is also my favorite race of the year because it's a long-distance race, and I think there's just more tactics that are involved. Um so the Arlington Million was one, but then I started thinking about turf races. What other turf races legitimately can fit into that sort of category of, of the most prestigious ones? I think of the turf classic at Churchill Downs on, on the Derby undercard, because to me, it's sort of the unofficial kickoff of the mile and an eighth to mile and a quarter turf season for us in the U.S. anyway. Pegasus World Cup turf. It's a combination of things. The Gulfstream turf doesn't help its cause. The positioning on the calendar at the end of January, a little bit of an oddity. I just feel like beginning of May, you start, you, you know, by then you're getting all of the big camps and getting their big charges out, especially, you know, the, the Chads, the the Todds, the the Shugs, the, the Clements of the world. Um, their turf runners are really getting cranked up and ready to go at that time of year, knowing that you've got the prime season in New York coming up. I think about the, the the grass racing out west. I think the mile races out west, specifically at Santa Anita, are really as good as they get. And we've seen East Coast shippers go out there, but but even just the West Coast contingent. I mean, heck, yesterday we did a, a live stream with ABR for Breeders' Cup kicking off the Winning Your In series um, with, with the, uh, I believe, what was it, the Shoemaker? I don't even remember. My mind is crazy. But between the Shoemaker Mile and the Kilrow Mile, I, I think those are two marquee events at a flat mile, grade one. Those are races that I think of when I'm thinking of prestigious turf events that we have here in the U.S. Are they quite good enough to be the most prestigious? Probably not. Uh, but I do think of those races. I think of yesteryear and, and days gone by where Craig Milkowski from Timeform U.S. brought up the idea of and it's true. I mean, in another time, the Sanity to Handicap would have arguably been number one. The Hollywood Gold Cup would have had a, a, a shout as the most prestigious. And for a number of reasons, those races have started to sort of wane in significance in the grand scheme of things. Um, it really is. It was just a question that made me think, and I, I loved the number of different responses I got. And this is just for the United States. Now when you expand it globally, and, and like I said, maybe this will be a question that I'll pose post-Belmont Stakes just because that's all anybody has on the mind this week and, and, and the giant day of racing. Heck, I think of the Manhattan, the race that's going to come up on Saturday for the Turfers at a mile and a quarter. That's always a great race. Quality, top to bottom. That's one that, if, if turf racing is factored in, could certainly have a say. The Sword Dancer at Saratoga has a chance to throw, you know, throw that one's hat in the ring. But I I think in, in many people, it felt like it really boiled down to the Travers, the Whitney, 
and the Met Mile. Those were the three that I, I saw the most. P Classic, probably fourth. To me, it's either the Whitney or the Met Mile because older horses, and I, I, can, I do understand the, the case for the Travers. I love the Travers. It was the first big event I ever went to. Uh, it'll always have a, a place in my heart. But I think, I think I'm probably going to lean toward the Whitney because it's two turns as opposed to the one-turn mile. I love the Met, but not all horses are suited for the Met. That's why it's a stallion-making race because it is that perfect blend of stamina and speed. But also, you know, there are some horses that aren't capable of going a mile and an eighth that can run in the Met. There are horses that can run a mile and an eighth that can go in the Met. That makes sense. It, it's, you know, it, it's, I think, to me, the, the Whitney is, is kind of the race. And the way that the calendar stacks up, I think it's a perfect time. I think it's the perfect distance. And I think it's the perfect setting. So my answer would be the, the Whitney at Saratoga is the most prestigious non-Triple Crown or Breeders' Cup race here in the U.S. Again, we got great interaction over on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. But if you're curious or you're not on Twitter, uh, let all of us know. Let the, the listeners and let the viewers know beneath the video player on YouTube. Um, what do you think, if you haven't already responded? The most prestigious non-Triple Crown or Breeders' Cup race in the U.S. Uh, that's going to wrap up this episode, episode 67. Again, if you listen, podcasts, audio only. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. If you're over on YouTube, search bar Matt Burney or show, you'll get this episode along with the 67 prior. Again, if you're in the area, head on over to Mohegan Sun on Saturday afternoon. I will be down there with Mike Butnanski from WEEI in Boston. We'll be talking all things Belmont Park on Saturday. I believe we're going to come on right at the first stakes race of the day. That might be the Brooklyn. Find out. The overnight's not even out yet. It's an exciting week. It's the final leg of the American Triple Crown in 2021. And we'll find out uh, who's going to prevail. You know my thoughts on the race. I'd like to hear yours in the spots that are pretty obvious by now. Uh, good luck this weekend. Until next week, when we come back and dissect and rehash everything that happened at Belmont Park on Saturday. This has been episode 68 of the Matt Bernier Show. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play.